If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Welcome to Lightmap by Sifter. My name is Gianni Giovanni. I'm the executive producer. On this episode is a game that I think a lot of you have been looking forward to. It's the classic RPG Fallout-inspired set in Western Australia game, uh, Broken Roads by Drop Bear Bites. I guess on this episode are Craig Ritchie and Kirsten Evans uh, from the team. Hello to you both. Thanks for joining us. Cool. Thanks for inviting us. We can't wait to learn a little bit more about how you've built out this world, uh, invented a post-apocalyptic Australia. So, let's jump in. If you like insightful discussions about those high-profile games that everyone's talking about, then why not check out Sifter's other podcast, Mainstream, in your podcast feed right now. We talk about those high-profile titles, those AAAs, some of those other smaller indie darlings, featuring insights from the award-winning Sifter team and other special guests. You can find Mainstream in your podcast player. That's on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or head to the Sifter website, that's sifter.com.au. Firstly, for people who haven't come across Broken Roads before, it had a big splashy announced during uh, Gamescom, got a big uh, publisher attachment to it. Um, but if people haven't heard of the game before, uh, how would you describe it? Well, it's a, it's a traditional isometric uh, role-playing game. Uh, it's definitely in the vein of, of Fallout and Baldur's Gate and I guess more recently Disco Elysium as well as the, the easy comparison. Um, set in a post-apocalyptic future Australia. And yeah, uh, very much a, a work of love for the studio over the last two and a half years. What was the genesis point for making this story? Well, I started with the idea of traveling all the way across Australia uh, from Perth to, you know, up in Queensland, up to the Daintree. And just WA itself proved to be, you know, have, have more than enough. And then just the wheat belts of WA proved to have like just more than enough um beyond just game scope and what we could get in there it was like we we won't even be able to um to touch deeply on any particular area you know if we start in wa and go through the nullarbor and get into victoria and go all these places we're just gonna um we're gonna go really really broad and not very very deep at all so we made up a you know made up our minds um maybe within the first six weeks or so to just say nope this is all going to be in western australia and um now, that's about the setting in terms of the story. I want to do something post-apocalyptic and not just a nuclear bomb fallout style post-apocalyptic, but if you could have humans making the worst decisions um, every time they have an opportunity to improve, you know, everything from climate change to um, political divisiveness and political extremism and, um, hunger and famine and you know 
dealing with uh, rising sea levels, all those different kinds of things play in, as well as war and, and you know, nuclear bombs and that kind of stuff all together. Um, yeah, and then it just kind of grew out from there. We had a couple of ideas for some characters. Kirsten uh, did some very early concepts, and um, it just kind of a little bit organically grew out of out of the combination of ideas and images and some voice recordings that we did with, with Amy Smith. Um, and, yeah, just kind of developed into into the story that we, we can't tell you too much about right now other than sort of what's been seen publicly. So, yeah, that's it. I'm really interested about how this world is going to be built out. There's obviously, uh, you know, a visual look that is similar to the Fallout games. Um, you can see that that inspiration has come through there. But, Kirsten, can you tell me about how, um, what sort of touchstones you're looking at when building out the world so it feels like it's believably post-apocalyptic Australia? Oh, boy, there's a lot. Uh we try to reference as much as possible, not only from real life, but also other games. I mean, that's just what you do. You don't want to, we're not recreate, trying to uh, recreate the wheel or anything like that. Um, but I mean, a lot of it, especially when it comes to post-apoc Australia, just comes from the people that live here. Um, I've mentioned this before uh, in some other interviews that we look to opal hunters and it's gold hunters is, um, gold hunters 2 i think um yeah. i can't remember what it's called but um, gold hunters old aussie gold hunters um mm. that was one of the really critical uh resources for me at least i just stumbled across it on foxtel go uh one of the rare things that people don't usually have access to and there's all these um people just absolutely living in the dirt um shanty kind of housing makeshift this makes it just looks exactly like what we wanted for the game and what it should be like you can't make this up <laughs> um so yeah that that that's been a, a huge influence there and then of course we've got sort of our own flavor and our um how the apocalypse happened and what's happened after that that's had an influence on it as well um but there's just so many resources from normal life that are just there and i mean look at all, all the other kinds of pop culture that are out there. I think someone even commented on our, um, what was our trailer and said, you know, this, this isn't post-apoc, this is just the middle of Western Australia. And I'm like, well, you're not wrong, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah. I've been to some of those places and yeah, they do look pretty similar. Um, Funnily enough, I think it's really interesting as well because obviously um, the Fallout series very clearly was influenced by um, the Mad Max series, which was this Australian uh, post-apocalyptic series. Is it interesting to be able to bring it back to its roots in a way um, to kind of kind of bring it all back into one? No, that I mean that that's really cool. There's um, Fallout is so clearly influenced by Mad Max. We're so clearly influenced by Fallout and Mad Max and um, Fallout also influenced by you know other older uh, post-apocalyptic stories, and you know there is something cool about being able to reference the references. You know, so yeah, it's great. Can you tell me? I know we can't go into a huge amount of details about the story, but I want to know what is the sort of story that you want to tell. I know there is sort of a you know a, a number of hard choices that has to be made as you're kind of progressing through it. But what is this story that you want people to experience when they're playing Broken Roads? The main thing we want to explore is putting people in difficult situations where they might understand why somebody could justify something that that at the moment they you know is completely against their worldview um how you might understand that given what somebody else is going through 
those decisions um, obviously, you know, extrapolated quite quite large in a post-apoc world. But the the thought of um, what would I do differently in in different circumstances, and you know, we look at things like regret and um, obviously like community, and we are uh, working pretty hard on what we're trying to get right with the um, First Nations and Indigenous. Um, you know, narrative consultants that we've got on that, that stuff is obviously super, super important. There's stories there that we, we're busy working through. Um, we'll show a lot more about that later. Um, I've been pretty interested in looking at what is some overlap between, uh, Western ideas of, of justice that are compatible or comparable or different to, um, you know, first nations handling of, of justice and so on. Um, yeah. And just something that's fun. You know, the, the, the main driving thing is it's fun. We, you're not going to be, um, you know, we're, we're not going to be preaching at you. We're not going to be pushing, or, you know, this is how you should think after you play the game. We really want people to be able to, um, be motivated by whatever it is they want to take through the game. And then every path is viable. And every path has good justifications, and none of the four quadrants are going to be uh, caricatures of, you know, um, the humanist is just good and the Machiavellian is just selfish. Like we're really trying to look at the the blending of, um, you know, how somebody can have can be made up of, of many different parts. You know, the the idea of people not being one dimensional things was part of what inspired the moral compass in the first place, and now we're able to. Uh, to explore that and tell stories around that. Is there a part of post-apocalyptic fiction that you just think doesn't quite mesh with what Australia is or, you know, what Australia could be? Are there any aspects of those stories that you think just don't fit in that context? And if you're, you're talking about a story that's being set in, in a, you know, a, an Australia of the future, um, you know, wouldn't wouldn't make sense if we were telling that sort of story? Hmm, I mean, Kirst, I don't know if you want to feel that one, if there's anything that you think is particularly um, – you know, unique about Australia because I've I've only been living here for less than five years, and I you know I've got some ideas, but I think you're in a much better position to answer this than me. I mean, there's a bit, uh, especially I mean, I'm a I'm a hardcore Fallout fan, um, hardcore, <laughs> um, and I think I mean this is in a lot of pop culture, but uh, growing up, you never saw your own people and the way that they did things and it was always american pop culture or uh you know this that and the other it it just we were this little continent huge continent over (laughs) by itself that nobody really cared about and now we can kind of we can explore that and i mean there are a lot of things that we do here that are just i don't know in, in in other post-pop games you go oh that's that's so taboo or or there's so much swearing or they talk like this or they they do this they have these kind of habits it's like we just do that normally um (laughs) so um there's a sense of humor also that australia has um which we can get across and i mean our game is deals with serious topics but honestly we have a lot of fun with it um we're always trying to put the jokes in there um and yeah, we, I really didn't really, especially playing Fallout games when I was younger, it was just, they're all very serious, whereas I don't feel the same way about this game. I feel like it's very, very open-ended, and we can uh, really 
you know, there's there's no mold set for us, and um, we can really just have fun with it. So I think we're going to have a hopefully satisfy um, you know those that are looking for the Australia that they know through whatever crocodile Dundee. You know, maybe that's the furthest end of one side, but then also like no, actually, there's a lot more to Australia than than some of those shrimp on the barbie stereotypes. You know. Yeah, when you when you it sounds like in some aspects it's an advantage um, because obviously the audience is kind of primed for more of these sorts of stories, um, but you know communicating exactly what your game is, um, you know, is it is it tricky? That's what I'm curious to, to know. I think the game and the the UI design and the the fixed camera it, it speaks to the audience that is already looking for this. Like we knew who our market was before we started developing the game we knew who we were trying to target we knew how, how we were going to position ourselves um, in relation to many of those titles and, and others that are still in development at the moment and you know we didn't know we had disco Elysium obviously as a competitive title when we were doing our analysis we didn't know it was going to be the, the success that it was um, but we we still had differentiated ourselves in in a few areas and you know people that are expecting the disco Elysium experience they can get some of that but there there's a very different thing going on here with like multiple companions and um the, the way you can go between different towns and the, the type of reactivity that's that's quite different um yeah so it's, it's also got more traditional rpg mechanics like different kinds of stats you know we don't have the thought cabinet and and um you know whatever else is unique to disco elysium so yeah it's just about we're trying to reach a particular audience that I think we've been pretty successful with the, uh, the, the video and the screenshots and the way we speak, speaking about this game and just like making no bones about, yep, totally. If you love fallout, Planescape Torment, Baldur's Gate, like come check it out. If you enjoyed Shadowrun or pillars, check it out, you know? And thankfully the, the people that are big fans of disco Elysium seem quite interested in this as well. And that's cool. Like hopefully there's, there's enough overlap there that um, they will like, the the story you know i think visually we we've nailed that and it's very easy to to share visuals um the story will have to wait until people can can experience it we've got some incredibly strong writers on the team that have been around for a long time you know worked on the games that influenced disco elysium you know if you want to be um specific about like fallout 2 planescape torment and so on so yeah it's it's been an advantage because it's definitely um, brought more people to it because this looks like something they already love. And then it's also been something where um, the expectations from that game could be slightly different for for what we're doing with Broken Roads. Um, I'm curious for both of you as, as fans of this series, it looked for a time that the sort of classic RPG uh, of the late 90s, early 2000s was, was basically going to go away, but it seems to be having this moment now. Even, you know, we've had Wasteland 2, which was extremely successful. Uh, Wasteland 3 that's come out as well. You know, these big studios that were the original genesis of these series are now being picked up and, and you know, are working on lots of different things. Um, why is it, do you think, that we've now had this moment where this sort of game um, is, is refinding the audience or, or discovering a new audience? Oh, I mean, from a visual perspective, I, I can definitely weigh in on that. I mean, the, the pop popularity of the games, the people playing the games, I don't think ever went away. I think just at the forefront, um, I worked at EB Games for many, many years. So I just saw like what people wanted to buy um, and what was flashy and what ended up in the stockings at Christmas and all that sort of stuff. And I think 
over the time when Call of Duty and stuff just started going, you know, they'd be pumping out games every couple of years and um, it gave everyone the impression that games were just so easy to make. Uh, but they were really relying on the technology that was developing the hardware uh, to show off these realistic looking graphics. And that was like the hot topic because it was just something that had never been done before uh, for video games, at least. Um or very rarely at least. So it was impressive. It was great. But then it starts to get tiring after a while. And the next Call of Duty. And the next and the next and the next. Um, you know, so then people started looking into indie games. And they started seeing games that were made by hand. Or um, just made in a different way and giving them a chance. And falling in love with the stories. And appreciating things like visual novels and stuff. Which have been around for yonks, right? But... Culturally, I think in the West, not so much. People didn't really appreciate that so much. Like, um, speaking of tactical RPGs, um, I love. Um, oh, it's just gone right out of my head. Has a Fire Emblem. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> um, Fire Emblem. I've sunk so many hours into Fire Emblem. So, uh, Super Jazz be working on a, another turn. Well, not another. To be working on a turn-based game. Full stop. Um, but yeah, the the more artistic side and. Um, it's just being appreciated more. And when devs talk about how they made their games and um, open up a bit more, like it's not, it's not all magic and it's, it's more of an art form and games are more of an experience. And, you know, it's, there's just, it's opened up so much and it's basically like here where they were, this is what was impressive before it was realistic graphics, but now we want to be more thoroughly entertained and have a full, fuller experience. And I mean, I'll play a shoot 'em up game any day, right? Um, but yeah, games as a, a form of entertainment, I think, is being appreciated much more. And as we're all getting older as well, they're realizing that, hey, games aren't just for kids. Um, and people who just have more worldly experience are craving some deeper stories and uh, those sorts of things to relate to. So um, yeah, there's my rant about. Um, <laughs> while these games have come back yeah <laughs> i did see that in exile sharing your your trailer when it came out i was excited to see um that yeah that that sort of experience is happening um, for you um craig i'm curious because you have a background in as being a, a journalist and, and in marketing as well um you know in terms of how you approached it when you were sort of covering um covering games or working in sort of promotion of things um Versus now being on the other side of that coin um, and actually developing and, and talking to the to press and influencers and stuff, what has that experience sort of taught you? Well, I've had a, a business and marketing first approach to setting up drop bear bites and establishing the brand of of Broken Roads from the outset. So I've had that sort of brand and marketing approach to this product, um, spending more on say key art and a slightly larger booth at PAX and. Um, getting press releases ready and leaning on every single favor and old contact and whatever I could for the first announcement in October 2019 um, and taking that approach that I do think too many indies, they know it's important, but they're still underappreciated. And despite all the GDC talks and whatever, the people are still going to ignore it of, no, let's make the game and market it when it comes out or um, yeah, we'll we'll pay an agency to do some press releases and speak to some influencers like when we're ready. Um, you just have to look at how many games are released on Steam, how, how easy it is to make games. Obviously, in, in relative terms, 
with the tools like Unity and and the graphics, uh, sorry, video and photo editing and and you know free art tools and just everything that's there. If you've got the time, access to a computer uh, helps. If you can speak English, so you can do all the learning, reading, watching the YouTube and you know training stuff. The barrier to entry to making new products is really low. Um, there are now more and more schools and tertiary education um, courses and degrees in this. And the market is being flooded by talent and product. And the only way that you that you can compete with that is to be seen and be known. And so that's how I've approached getting this game known and establishing a brand as a first step, really, you know, and um, applying just, just what I'd learned. What is I interested in as a journalist and a reader of, of games mags and viewer of games uh, websites and, and videos. And yeah, just as a, as a marketing, you know, with a background in marketing, just applying that and kind of knowing, Hey, what's worked before let's, let's try that again on this game. Um, so yeah, I think just the understanding or at least applying an understanding of why brand management and marketing is actually so important. Kirsten, I'm curious because you mentioned that you know you started your, your your days working at EB Games selling games to people, <laughs> and now you've got this thing uh, where you're making games yourself. Can you tell me, um, you know, what what's some of the advice you'd like to give to yourself or others who might be thinking of the same sort of thing as they're putting stuff on shelves, wanting to make games that you wish you oh, knew? Oh man, I turned to my manager one day and said, "Wouldn't it be cool if I saw like or." I'm going to put a game on that shelf basically is what you said. And um, I am, uh, but I, I mean, I've been teaching actually uh, games for quite some time now. Um, and I mean, the advice that I always give is like, it's going to be hard. Um, any kind of profession, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, it doesn't matter if you're a artist it doesn't matter it's going to take you years to master it uh it's going to take a lot of hard work you've got to be dedicated and you've got to be kind to yourself as well you're going to go through some really big ups and downs you're going to fail a lot and that's awesome fail faster is one of the best uh ways to learn um and build each other up as well with, with your classmates Make little games, uh, support each other, don't compete. Honestly, if you're good at what you do, someone will pay you to do it. Don't compete with uh, the people in your class. Work with them and make your own way, make your own thing. People are so hungry for entertainment and they really want um, to see your ideas and they, they want to experience the things that you have to offer. So just have faith and also don't think that making – like going straight into a triple A company is what you're supposed to do, what you have to do to feel worthy. Um, start indie, become triple A, you know, everyone started indie at some point. Um, and yeah, just make games and remember to have fun while you're doing it. That's something that one of my teachers, uh, when I was learning concept art, uh, told me, he's like, you just got to chill. You can't take, you know, all this stuff too seriously. Can't work yourself too hard. Remember, it's got to be fun. Um, so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and put your put your stuff online. Put your stuff online. Very important. Yes, 
yes, if I hadn't put that one picture online, uh, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. So <laughs> it only takes one. You don't even have to have a fully manicured portfolio or anything like that, which people say, oh, I've got to work on my portfolio. It's like, just make stuff and put it up there. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of actually um, just some practical advice, because when um, when I was scouting for artists, uh, I'd go straight to ArtStation. It's actually very hard to find people out there. It's just hard to find people's work. Uh, ArtStation is a great one for artists. A lot of people know about it. But tag your profile with your skills, all of them. If you can rig, show me your rigs. Don't just post a video of your animated, you know, some animated thing that you rigged. Show me your topology. Show me all the bits and pieces, all those things that, um, yeah, we, we want to make sure that you can do. Um, otherwise, you kind of, you know, do I want to reach out to this person? Oh, well, there's five other people that I know and I can see have those skills. I'm going to talk to them instead kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, really utilize those platforms to make yourself findable because the Internet's a big place. It is a big place um, and we're glad to have found you. I've got one final question before we wrap up. Um, Brook, Brookton is a place that I know I used to cover it as a, a journalist. It's an area uh, that I normally would have thought would be in no video games ever. Um, how did you end up with Brookton as your as the location uh, for this game and, and what's some of the favorite parts of that world that you've um, built out in Broken Roads? Um, well, that goes back to the, you know, where are we going to start this journey and how far along are we going to take and... Uh, take it, I should say. And the idea was that that Perth was always destroyed. So you, you wouldn't be in Perth, you'd be near there and what kind of made sense. And it started off with just like Google Maps and Wikipedia and Google Street View and looking at a whole lot of places. Um, and everywhere around that little um, that, that little town and, and surrounds. And it just, you know, this had all of the makings of what we needed uh, size-wise, location-wise, reasonably far enough away that um, it, it could have survived certain kinds of attacks and not be in a radiation zone. And, you know, all, all those kinds of things worked out for us as well as, well, we also wanted to have like this farming um, underpinning, at least at the start of the game and the proximity to, to various other places, how quickly you can get onto the, the, um, the highway as well as, there's nearby, there is an old train route and there's, there's just some things that worked really well. So we looked at a whole bunch of towns and um, Brookton just it, location and, and a few other little features around there. Uh, to verify all this, I flew out there at some point like late 2019, maybe August, September, and drove around and drove through there and um, Alderside and Meriden and you know a bunch of the other towns that we, we want to feature and just kind of checked it out on the ground too just to make sure like this uh, this feels good or that you know doesn't and there were a couple of places from having visited them it's like oh you know this doesn't actually make sense anymore um or hey i'm glad i visited because i didn't see this landmark or you know take my own photo because the the tar is a different color or whatever it was so yeah it was really just digging around the area finding something that kind of fitted what we were looking for um and you know kind of verifying that with the visit so yeah that's 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 why we you know kick it all off in brookton kirsten evans craig ritchie thank you so much for for taking the time to share a little bit of broken roads we can't wait to 
play it. Um, it's still a little while away in, in 2022. Um, but we appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit of the process of, of making of this game. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Really appreciate your interest in the coverage. Thanks for having us. Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Scott Quigg, Sarah Ireland, Fiona Bartholomew, Daniel Ang, and Adam Christou. Mitchell Lowe is our senior producer. My name's Gianni Giovanni. I'm the executive producer. As always, we'll be putting links up to everything we talked about on our website and in the show notes. Uh, you can find out everything, all the games we talked about, learn more about that as well. While you're on our website, you'll find heaps of other great articles, interviews, uh, gameplay with lots of different other interesting things. And if you're online, why not join the Sifter community on Discord? That's sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. There's heaps of interesting stuff there uh, for you to check out. A great supportive community. We'd love to have you to be a part of it. Share your work. Tell us what you've been, uh, you know, been working on recently. That's sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. And if you'd like to support the show, the best free thing you can do is to share it with your friends. Tell people that you think might like it, who might enjoy what we do. Uh, Word of mouth is one of the best things you can do for independent podcasts like us. So tell someone who you know would enjoy what we do uh, to check us out. That's really good. And if you've got a few extra bucks and you want to deck yourself out in some really cool, unique designs, why not head to the Sifter store? Uh, We've got some great video game inspired t-shirts that you can purchase. Uh, and the money goes into making great new uh, interviews, new uh, stories, finding great stuff, uh, bringing that to you as well. So to do that, head to sifter.store. That address again, sifter.store. That's all the time we have for this episode. Until next time, have fun. that the original Final Fantasy creator Hironobu Sakaguchi made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade and every level in the game is a handmade physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of apple arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism this offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled